Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. We'll look back at yet another record-breaking run chase for England, easing to a seven-wicket win over India in the fifth test at Edgbaston, postponed for a year, of course. And we'll hear from one of the two centurions, Joe Root, 100 number 28 for Joe. We'll get the thoughts of India head coach Rahul Dravid and look ahead to the two white ball series between the sides, which start with the T20s on Thursday evening. We'll discuss county moves for, for both Dom Sibley and Moeen Ali and look ahead to more live cricket on TalkSport 2 this week as Ireland hosts New Zealand. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. It was quite a week at Edgebaston. Um, I'll remember it for a while, I can tell you. England chased down their highest ever successful fourth innings total, the eighth highest ever, uh, to beat India by seven wickets and draw the series 2-2. It was, a, it was <laughs> such an absorbing test match. I thought that, uh, personally, that England were in an even deeper hole than they were a couple of times against New Zealand when they conceded 553 and were then 55 for six. I thought this was uh, the, the hole of holes, but they didn't just scramble out of it covered in dirt. They leapt out of it to the tune of a marching band with fireworks and they won the game by seven wickets. Harmy, make sense of it for me. I don't understand oh, test cricket anymore. Man, as I can't make sense of any of it, to be honest. I was there Friday, Saturday. I was in, I was in the sort of boxes. I did a little bit around the grounds. I had my little, my little pal, Mr. Bell, Ian Bell, with me for, for two days. Um, but we had a we had a good time reminiscing about old old days and you know what a wonderful ground edge Baston is. Um, and not only did they put on a show, I thought the teams put on a show. 
said right at the very start, I thought India were, I thought India would win. More for the fact that I thought, you know what, if England, England win the toss and bowl first, which I expected them to do, I was like, England can't chase 250 on this. No matter what surface to play on, Jadeja and Ashwin will bowl England out. And then Ashwin didn't get picked and Jadeja didn't bowl very well. And what an epic win. Besto and Root, it's just, it stuffs the dreams are made of from uh, McCullum and, and Stokes' point of view. And, and like you said, they came and did it, marching band, they were absolutely magnificent because there were times in that game I was throwing things at the TV by the time I got home and saying to like about Ben and his captaincy. It was like, what are you doing? We've got five slips. We've got five slips. The ball's going everywhere. You know, the ball's going to all parts of the boundary. But I think it just meant for even more than in throwing a test match. It was brilliant to watch. Um, and, you know, the icing on the kick today was Root going past when we're 140 and, and best of getting 100 in each innings. It's, you know, Johnny must be sitting at the size of a beach ball at the minute. But he's he's not just one dimensional. I mean, he played some really traditional cricket. He played some mm. on the fourth afternoon um, when I thought India lost the plot a little bit. I don't know whether they lost the plot or whether Joe and Johnny made them lose the plot because they were grafting and they were working. They were playing it like the middle overs of a fifty over game, weren't they? I mean, they were taking at one point they were taking four or five singles and over. For about an hour, they were just pushing the ball into gaps. India seemed clueless. Harmi, I thought the pitch got flatter. I thought it was doing more on day two than it was on days four and five. And the ball kept getting soft. And I mean, I, again, I think this seemed to work in, in England's favour, but they made the very, very best of whatever rubber the green they got. Yeah, and, and I think I think what we've seen in this game was some naive captaincy, um, if I'm brutally honest, with some of the stuff I think even Ben will, will reflect on that. But he'll not because he'll just go, we won the game. So who cares? You know, Armisen, shut, shut up because you're an old man and you're just thinking, you know, I was just looking at it and I was thinking, could have been a little bit smarter. And that's how I think India got to the score they got in front. And then Bumrah just lost the plot. They had two reviews when he was off the field. Both went against them. Last hour on day four, India had about four captains. Shami was setting his field. Bumrah was telling people to go somewhere else. Pant wasn't happy. His arms were going. Coley, Coley was chipping in. You thought Coley was captain. And it's like, who on earth is captain in this group? And I think the man who set the ball rolling was Alex Lees. I think he set the tone when he came out. Crawley was, I think he was being watchful because of his own position inside the, the team, but also inside himself. And I think Alex Lees really came out, set the tone for England. Um, and England benefited from that 100-run partnership at the top. When you're chasing a massive total, you need to get off to a good start because then if not, the water comes in. And I think because of the way Lees went about his job at the start, then Crawley got involved. Up until just before that tea break, I thought England really, really put India under pressure. But Jasper Bummer as a captain buckled under pressure. And I thought India as a team actually took the water in. I think they really took the water in. And to McCauley's antics, I don't mind it. Uh, he, he pushes the, the boundaries. and He was trying to fire his team up. But there was Mohamed Shami. Bumrah didn't really want to bowl himself. I think that's the, what happens when you're a bowling captain. Sometimes you don't bowl enough. Thought his first spell didn't bowl enough and then didn't bring himself back on later. And then Jadeja looked as though he hadn't had a bowl for a while. 
uh, Thakur and uh, Siraj, who were non-existent in that fourth innings. So from that point of view, I thought England put them under real, real pressure and India buckled. Well, you mentioned Alex Lees and Zach Crawley, 107 runs um, at a really cracking pace. Um, they ne- England really needed that. Um, and it helped. I mean, then they lost three for two in 15 balls. But Lees was a revelation. You remember he scored 16 runs in the first session of the first test starts. This is what he said about the belief in the England team after the test match. I just think there's ultimate belief um, in, in one another from 1 to 11. Uh, that we can do it. Before the tests, we had a little joke that we'd, we'd have a chase. <laughs> Usually, obviously, in your day of cricket. But I think, you know, both times we just felt that the wicket would be uh, the best time to bowl and it would, would be day one. Um, and I think, obviously, this summer, you know, the last, last few games, the wickets have been pretty good wickets, you know, and haven't really deteriorated. And I think, you know, this is no different here. Um, I think the biggest thing is the confidence within the chasing that. This, this team has and I think like you say a, a big total it could be more and I still think the psychology and the approach around it would, would not be too different so within this team we know the brand that we want to play as a team and an identity that we want moving forward and so on a personal level I just wanted to be positive but there's no specific um, yeah there's no specific message as such this test I mean I wouldn't have put it past Ben to say something like that again, um, which would have been pretty ludicrous. But, um, but you know, that, that is obviously how his mind works. Um, but no, yeah, it was just go and express yourself. Um, you know, we all know what we need to do within this team and the roles that, that we obviously have. And, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he's, he, he started from in first gear on debut, or maybe in neutral, actually. Neutral. Um, and he's now he batted at Edgebaston in sixth gear, maybe... Maybe something in between might be the order of the day. Let's just hear from from Joe Root as well, also talking about the belief that England now have. Um, they reckon they could beat anybody. The fact that there's a full buy-in from everyone, I think, is really important. And you know, if guys haven't quite got it right, there's still the backing of almost go the other way of back yourself even more next time. And I think a testament to Ben um, and Brendan in in pushing that hard and um, you're seeing guys like Johnny reap the rewards in particular you know young guys like Ollie standing up this summer as well Popey that partnership at the top of the order this chase was remarkable so both of them played extremely well and um, really set the the rest of the chase up for us um, but I guess it's just a shift in mentality as well I, before the game Ben said we're not going to bat first we're going to chase we're not going to feel first we're going to chase and that's just how we're looking at things now. It's, um, I guess, just a slightly different outlook on the game. Um, but, you know, when you've got the whole group buying into it, believing it, trusting it, and, you know, you've got the full backing in what you're trying to do, gives you a huge amount of confidence off the back of as well. Seeing us do it three times before this game means a huge amount, yeah. Former England captain Joe Root reflecting on... The uh, end of his own tenure as captain, when, of course, England won only one of 17 test matches. Harmi, um, he scored 1,100s now in 18 months. Um, it's just the most astonishing run of form, 2,800s. And given his age, some people criticised us for suggesting he could challenge Sachin Tendulkar's overall test run record. They said that he'd have to average 50 and, and you know score eight or 900 runs a year for the next seven years. 
Well, I mean, uh, you know, there's every reason to believe that he could do that if he if he wants to. Do you think he looks back on and wonders why on earth England was so tentative under his captaincy? Quite possibly, I think. But I think you've also got to realise that I think circumstances, I think a lot of the circumstances going into COVID was huge. I think playing against Australia, we're in Australia. That was a tough series, always going to be a very a big, big challenge. The West Indies, England were shot. England just looked a shadow when they went to the Caribbean. I hope he looks on his last sort of two years as in his, in his tenureship of, well, individually I performed. And from a team point of view, well, I took one for the team because I don't think if Ben Stokes had been given the captaincy against Australia... I remember when Andrew Flintoff took the captaincy in 2006-7. He took one for the team. We were we were we were a shambles. We didn't, we had four good players. If that he went across there, took the team. If Andrew Strauss takes that team to Australia, gets beat five 0 do we have? Do we get to the best team in the world in 2010-11? Probably not. Would Andrew Strauss have been captain during that time? Probably not. I thought Andrew Flintoff took one for the team. Joe Root in the last two years has taken. The England cricket team, and I think he has took one on his on his chin and said, right, we are, we are now out of COVID. We have got a different mindset. We've got a different leadership, fresh ideas. England are a lot better. I didn't think during that time, England won win from 17. England didn't have bad players. England made bad decisions. But selection, we made bad decisions. Players made pressurised bad decisions when it comes to batting and bowling. And I think that's what happened over the course of 17 test matches and only one win. Now we're making fresher decisions. Now we're making better decisions. And I think because of that, I think the freedom that we've got coming out of COVID, the freedom that we've got to express ourselves and be the best players we possibly can be, and that's what Brendan wants us, wants the England cricket team to be, I think they're benefiting from that. Not just, um, not just root, because Joe Root's, Joe Root's had an unbelievable year, even when we were getting beat. But Bear Stokes benefited from it. Ben Stokes himself has benefited. And I think Alex Lees, like I said before, he set the tone. Okay. We've always had bowlers that could take 20 wickets. No matter which bowling unit we put out, we could take 20 wickets. The problem was scoring runs and scoring them at a rate to keep ourselves relevant in the game. And now we're starting to come to the port. We've seen what he's capable of the last four weeks. If he keeps getting playing as he is, he can be capable of a lot, a lot more than anything I can do um, because of you know, how quickly he can turn a game and how disruptive he can be. And as you mentioned, this week he played extremely differently and and showed that he's there's, there's a lot more to him. Um, I think the sky's the limit for him if he stay nice and and level. Um, then yeah, he'll definitely be a rock star one day. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at England's record-breaking seven-wicket win over India at Edgebaston. I said that we would talk Johnny Bairstow, um, and, I, and I want to talk Johnny Bairstow because that's now um, six hundreds in eight test matches. Uh, two in a test match is a very, very rare and cherished feat. People ask, Harmy, whether um, him being messed around after a highly productive year in 2016 um, was the cause of him being less productive. But every time he was moved, as far as I can recall, everybody knew why. Um, you know, okay, we, we're going to 
we want Johnny to be our number six. We want Johnny to be our keeper. We don't want Johnny to be our keeper because we want Joss to be our keeper. Johnny's a prime batsman and we want him to bat four or five. And so, you know, yes, I suppose he, he was messed about, but, well, he was moved about rather than messed about. And anyway, he's back at number five. And I guess in current form, he can stay there as long as he likes, but he still wants to keep. So there might be more messing about to come. Yeah, he still wants to keep. I think the problem for me was he did get messed about. There's no, I don't think you can sugarcoat it. He got messed about. He got mismanaged. So did Mo and Ali. Mo and Ali retired. And Johnny, we nearly lost Johnny. We could easily have lost Johnny over the course of the winter. That 100 in Australia. Johnny doesn't get that 100 in Australia. He doesn't get that 100 in the Caribbean. Johnny doesn't get picked. You know, we, we, we move on from Johnny. You know, Johnny's in the same boat as Joss. And I think he, he talked about, you know, having to sort of earn his place, players back. Harry Brooks going all in runs at the start of the season. That 100 in the Caribbean, I think, just sort of got Johnny to hang on to his place. And whenever Johnny's questioned, he comes and punches back. And he's, he's a brilliant human being, Johnny. But I remember having a conversation with him in the Caribbean. And I don't think Johnny, I don't think anybody sat him down, really sat him down properly and told Johnny why he got moved what the reason was he got moved. And I think if they'd sat him down, and I, and I remember saying to him, Johnny, they've done it because you are that good. We are moving you to bat number three or number four because it's not because we haven't got anybody else. You're one of our best players. We believe that you know that this team needs you to bat three or four because you are one of our best players. We're moving you because you are good. Not, not filling a gap. We're not filling the gap with Johnny Bairstow. We're trying to work out what's the best solution for this team. And at this minute in time, we need a number three. So our best player, one of our best players, to go to number three is you, Johnny. And I don't think that message was done properly. I think it was just, Johnny, you back three, that's, that's it. And Johnny, and I think in his eyes, he felt as though he was getting moved around, shunted around, because he was fitting in with everybody. And I think that's something I don't think he got his head around and grasped that. We're moving you because the team needs you to move because you are one of our better players. You're one of our best players. And I think all Johnny needs is a bit of loving. He really does. He, he does. He just needs to be loved. He needs to be told he's good. He needs to be told he's an integral part of this team and he needs to be pumped his tyres up as much as you can. It's a Yorkshire thing. Darren Goff was the same. Goffy was the same. Yeah, you look, listen to Nasser Hussein, Alex Stewart, Mike Atherton. If you, if you tell Darren Goff he was the best bowler in the world, you tell him he was the fastest bowler in the world, you tell Darren Goff he was the main, the main man in your team. Goffy, got, Goffy was the best. He just he blew everybody away. I think Johnny was mismanaged in that way. That I think sometimes we're challenging Johnny. I don't think that's the right way to go. I think you put your arm around him, tell him how good he is, tell him how important he is, tell him how valued he is as the group, tell him how much this team needs him to go and perform. You know, if he doesn't perform, you kick, you just sort of prod him and, and, and put him in the, you know, give him a kick up the backside if it needs to be. But I think if you pump Johnny, Johnny Best those tyres up, you will get what we've just got. I don't think he'd even believe that you could get six test, six test match entries in eight games. But I think what we've seen now is we see, we see a guy who just loves playing cricket. I mean, you see his enthusiasm for the game is great. Fiery side, he was having a fight with Virat Kohli, one of the best players. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did Virat unleash the beast? Because Johnny's strike rate was was 70, and then Virat had a crack at him, 
Um, and uh, his strike rate went up to 120. I actually think I actually think that was the it was a, I think that is a, a ploy that teams have used against Besto. Let's see what he's made of. Let's get at him. He might then play something play, play something he shouldn't do. You know, if we if we if we upset you know, upset Johnny Besto, if we get at him, take him out of his comfort zone, try and rattle him. He's going to come out swinging. He's going to come out playing shots. At the minute, you don't want him playing shots because he's playing the, every shot in the book and he's playing them unbelievably well. I think two years ago, maybe that was the right ploy to get at Bairstow. You know, I see what he's made of, see what his tick is about, see if he can handle the pressure of, of, of confrontation. He might just chase a wide one. He might chip one up in the air, a short ball like he just chips up in the air. At this minute in time, when he's executing his shots, he's executing them brilliantly. And I'm really, really pleased for him. I really am, because I do think he's been messed about by England. I don't think he's been as appreciated as what he possibly could have been. Largely down to the fact that you've got Roots, best player in the world, Stokes, you know, the, the, what we've got, you know, Broad and Anderson, great. So we've got Besto has always been that underneath the radar a little bit. He's now having his day in the sun, and it's great to see. Okay. Now then. Stephen Harmison, I need to ask you about Stuart, who now holds the record for the most expensive over in Test cricket. And as somebody who once famously bowled the first ball of an Ashes series to second slip, I know that you will have some sympathy, mm. empathy with Stuart Broad. But, uh, and, you know, he's got 550 Test wickets, and it would be very easy to say, <laughs> just laugh it off and say it was one of those things. But I suspect that it hurt him, and I suspect that you, We'll have to say that it was truly a dreadful over. It was. I, I was in. I was sitting right behind it, and I remember me and Belly did a Q and A at lunchtime, and <laughs> on the first morning, I'm going, "How well Stuart bowled from you know the change room end. He bowled beautifully without any luck." I was watching. He was beating bats and all sorts, and it was like, Stuart's his head's going to blow off here because he you could see he was bowling good areas, everything come, and then fast forward whatever it was, a day and a bit, stand at the end of his mark. He's just about, he was just about, or he had just taken his 550th test wicket, was on the board, there it was. And I'm watching them and I'm going, well, this is a good plan with the old ball when they got, I think, they, did they get Shammy out? Somebody, I think, Shammy got out, top edge one. It was a good it was a good plan with the old ball. But you've got a brand new ball. Come on, Stuart, you, you're 35-year-old. You've got 350, uh, 550 test wickets. Just go back to try and hit the top of the stumps with two men in catching positions around there. You can have deep square leg and for the bouncer, not a problem. But then all of a sudden against Jasper Bumman, you know, India's number 10 or number 11. I actually think I was watching. I'd like, I'd like to know this from Stuart. Halfway through that over, he, he was on his way across to Ben Stokes. And I think he was saying this is not working. But Ben pushed him back. Ben was sort of, a, I think he was at mid on. And Ben sort of just thrown his hand back and pushed him back. So Stuart kept going down the sort of barrage of bouncers. By this time, he's around the wicket now. And every time he bowled a bouncer, it, it, it was like, it was just going straight up in the air. And I'm thinking, oh no, what's going on? And then when I seen the, oh, you, you seen the amount off the over. Ah, it, it, look, it's, it's just one of them things. It's one of them things in the moment. It's one of the, one of the funny things about it is, it was two, it's two and a half minutes to bowl that over. And that over in Stuart's mind would have probably gone about 30 seconds. Everything would have been in fast forward. His emotions in fast forward. Getting back to his mark fast forward. 
running on to bowl fast forward. And then it was definitely, you know, fast, fast forward when it was going out of the park off the top edge of Jasper Bumrah's bat. So, look, it is it is one of them things. It was, it will be in years to come, slightly embarrassing because it will have on the stats what, what's going on. But I don't think he's going to lose any sleep over it. The guy's got 550 test match wickets. I wouldn't have lost. I didn't lose any sleep over bowling the first ball. The second slip at Brisbane, it was embarrassing, but I got a bowl another ball, you know, 10, 15 seconds later. So did Stuart. Mine was nearly as bad. Stuart <laughs> nearly went out of the park again. So, look. Yeah, it's just one of them things. But I'd like to know if he was, if he did halfway through that over, was thinking about we're going, we're doing this wrong, we're doing the wrong thing here. Um, but Ben Stokes pushed him back, and you stick with your captain. Yeah, and um, Ben showed how it can be done with the old ball. Um, obviously, uh, with um, in the, the second innings uh, when he came on and and took four for thirty and, and knocked mm. the tail over, bounced the tail out. So that was um, that's how it can be done. Let's hear from the Indian. Uh, dressing room now. Um, Rahul Dravid was um, as as calm and reflective and as phlegmatic as ever after the test match. Um, this is what he had to say. I don't want to make excuses about it. Obviously, uh, the team, I wasn't part of the team then. Uh, India was on a roll at that stage. Uh, England were probably in a slightly different situation at that point of time. Uh, when that series was on, they, they've come here at the back of three consecutive wins against New Zealand. We had a long gap in between test cricket, but you know, no excuses. They played well over the five days. Uh, we had our opportunities. Uh, we played well in the first three days. You know, we could maintain that, and, and that's why test cricket's hard, and, and that's why test cricket means that you know you've got to be able to, um, you know, you got to keep putting those performances right through the five days. Uh, we were not able to do that, and, and they did that better than us, and they deserve to win this test match. Well, ever the gentleman, Rahul Dravid, it sounded, uh, Harmi, a little bit like, I don't want to make excuses, but um, here are some anyway, if you want them. <laughs> yeah, it did. And look, they lost their captain in Rohit Sharma. He would have made a difference. I think he would have made a difference, not just bat, but on the field. Um, nothing against Jasper Bummer's captaincy. The way England went about the job and in the in the sort of fourth innings, it could have gone for 500 and still would have gotten it. I think the way, the way that went, but I think just... A calmer pair of eyes detracted from the bowl. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series 
in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. The unit might have just been the difference between England getting you know a little bit more under pressure. Didn't want to make excuses, but the excuses are, yes, Noah Rohit Sharma, Keir Rahul, quite a few missing. If India decided that they weren't going to, and, and I don't blame them for going home in September, um, but if England had, if India hadn't have gone home in September, India would have won this series 3-1. Not a problem at all, because England were a shadow. And England have, uh, have managed to wrestle a series 2-all. Um, and momentum is is definitely with, with England. Looking at the Indian side, I thought they cracked under pressure. And I don't think they've done that too many times over the course of the last five to ten years. This great India side, don't they don't crack under pressure because they play all their cricket under ultimate pressure. I actually thought yesterday they really, really cracked. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And But some people have said that England got a little bit lucky because of a lack of ruthlessness from both New Zealand and India. Um certainly in terms of, of batting England out of the game. Although Ben Stokes did say after the test match that a, a small part of him wouldn't have minded if they had got 450 because he wanted to see what his England yeah. England batsman would there was, have done. There was, times, there was times I was expecting the way, where they were bowling. I thought, yeah, we are going to be chasing 450. Fair play to Ben. Ben, yeah, I, on that that last last part of the Indian innings, yeah, India lost, what did they lose? They lost. Seven wickets for 90, 90 runs. Yeah, that's a difference between 420, 450 in front. Um, and Ben got four for four for 33 in that point of view. So seized initiative back. That's twice they've done it. When people say you got you got a little bit of luck, you earned your luck. And I think I think England earned their luck and stood up and went at, at testing times and at the business side, they, they stood up and were counted. And that for me is a sign of a of a, of a good side. And this whole summer has just reminded me back 2004 when we went seven seven games unbeaten. We chased two over over 240, I think, on two or three occasions. And the belief we got in that series at that time, we felt invincible. We can do anything. That was Michael Vaughan's side. And we went on and won in South Africa and then won the 2005 Ashes. I think that where this team can go with the injuries they've got with the bowlers. Yes, they've got a couple of retirements coming around the corner in the next 12 to 18 months. But I think with the mindset we've got here, I think the the ceiling level for this side could be it could be quite high. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll look ahead to the white ball series coming up against India. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
the uh, the T20 series um, is uh, crammed into three games, crammed into five days. Same thing with South Africa a little bit later on um, at the end of July as well. Um, so uh, Thursday, Aegeus Bowl, Saturday and Sunday, Edgebaston and Trent Bridge. Lots of stories and lots of uh, talking points, actually. Joss Butler takes charge for the first time. Um, it's a really interesting squad. Um, it, it'll be without Adil Rashid, who's um, going on the Hajj to Mecca. So he's um, on leave. Uh, Richard Gleeson, I don't know. Lots lots of good stories, Army. There are, yeah. I'm pleased for Richard Gleeson. He's worked hard. You know, he's now to give the game up, as a lot of people, it, that seems to be the story as it, it comes. You get somebody that gets to an age, starts thinking about a different career path and where his career is going. And all of a sudden, when them thoughts come, you either die in a hole and off you go, or a little bit of a spurt and you play like a 19-year-old inside a year and you, know, you, you tend to freewheel and that's what he's done. He's done some, both some very, very good death stuff against, especially in the Roses games, um, which were on TV, which always helps. I like the look of this squad. I think it's a really, really good squad. Nice to see Tamo Mills back, um, left arm pace, serious pace option. Um, Chris Jordan's back in the group. Reese Topley from a bowling point of view. Even even Adil, Adil going off in you know, he's going to he's going to do something that's you know his his religion, his beliefs, and it's something that he wants to do. Hearts telling him and sending him in a direction, and it's brilliant, brilliant for Adil that he, he he wants to go and do what he's what he's going to embark over the last four or five weeks, but for the next sort of what three or four weeks, and it's great that the ECB open-mindedly have uh, have given the time to go and do it and which is good we're gonna have a look at Parkinson you know I'm sure we're gonna see Matt Parkinson stand in for these these three games so all in all I think from a bowling point of view that would be the you know the area that you'd look at is going to be not of concern but of uh they're the ones that are fighting for a, for a place for the, the world t20 when you look at the bat side there's no Johnny Bairstow I know there's no Ben Stokes or Joe Root, because I think Joe Root's going to have to come into question for the, the T20 World Cup. But you like, I like the look at the likes of, you know, Harry Brooks going to have a game along with the likes of the powerhouse of Butler, Roy and, and Livingston. This is going to be a good, good series and three games in a short space of time. It's, you know, I think this is a very, very good England side. Phil Salt is there again, having uh, impressed in the ODR series against the Netherlands. And um, it seems to me that... Um, that, that somebody uh, with influence is looking at him um, as um, maybe not part of the furniture, but not a collapsible deck chair. He's not just going to be moved in and out, you know, for convenience. No, he's not. I think what I think, unfortunately for Phil, I think Phil is going to play sort of bilateral series, but not many tournaments. <laughs> I think the tournaments, I don't think he's going to play. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to play the tournaments because I think the best though, Stokes and but as best of Stokes and probably Root. I'd like to think Joe is still in the equation for the T20 World Cup, especially the way he's playing. I think them three guys, the multi-format ones, I'm not sure they're going to be playing in too many by bi sort of bilateral series. So the likes of Salt, Harry Brook, even possibly something stupid like Liam Livingston could potentially miss out. Um, and you, you got to remember, Devin Milan is number two, I think, number two or three ranked batsman in the world in T20. But the way Root's batting, Bairstow's batting, and you've got to have Stokes. You had Roy, you had Butler, Mo and Ali, 
you, you're, you're running out of fingers to find where these players going to fit in. And I'm not mentioning the likes of Liam Livingston or David Milano, Harry Brooks, so and Phil Salt. So I think, unfortunately, for some of them, they're going to play in series in the summer. But when it comes to the major tournaments, I think England have got to go back to their big guns because the pressure situation, they've got to play. Okay, and there was another squad announced that um, received less attention, but it certainly caught my eye. Uh, England Lions squad to play two 50-over warm-up matches against the South Africans um, at uh, Taunton and then at uh, New Road. Some really interesting stories there as well. Um, the three that I wanted to ask you about, in whatever particular order, 17-year-old Lester Shalegi, Rian Ahmed, Jake Lintott's another really good story, um, I reckon, the Warwickshire left-arm spinner. And Derbyshire's uh, George Scrimshaw. That's just a lovely recognition for the, the way Derbyshire have been playing their cricket this summer, um, and, and good on him. And if you do nothing else in this programme, Harmy, I would like you to solve the mystery of Sam Hain and why he's been scoring runs regularly and for fun and in serious circumstances for years and years. He averages 60 in list A cricket. And this is the first time at the age of 26 that someone said, OK, then have a lion's cap. Yeah, it is. He was slowly but surely turned into James Hildreth, wasn't he? Um, but he was always he was always talked about playing for England, but never got never really got a chance. And I think Sam was starting. He's starting to become slowly but surely in that bracket of of taking over the mantle of James Hildreth. Um, Tommy Abel, exactly the same. The one thing they've got, unfortunately, it's a ridiculous team to try and get into. Trying to get into England's white ball team is just it's it's virtually impossible. You just spoke a second ago, potentially leaving somebody like David Milan or Liam Livingston out of 1-11 to 11 in a major tournament in the shortest format of the game. It's just scary how good this red ball, this white ball team is. But it's good to see these players get recognised. Obviously, there's there's other cricket going on at the time. So it's an England ear side picked from the ones that aren't playing. Um, I, I'm over the moon that you know, Sam Haynes has, has been recognised. Same with Tom Abel. Raheem Ahmed, watched, I commentated on him a few weeks ago at Durham, and I loved every minute of it. His googly was, execution was perfect. 17, not bothered. If he's good enough, I, 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 I get him exposed. Really get him exposed. The thing I liked about him, he came in at number eight or number nine. We keep it standing up. He ran down a wicket, second ball, tra- charging the seam, trying to hit him over the top. Got loads of confidence for a 17-year-old. Get him in, get him playing. If he doesn't go well, you know what? He's got plenty of time. He'll go back and one worrying thing I would about him, it's a slightly going off on a tangent here. I noticed I think he signed a big contract at Leicester, a four or five-year contract. I'd be concerned if I was a, if a young man's parents that somebody's let him sign. And it's nothing against Leicester, and I might be doing a huge disservice to Leicester, but I think if he if he wants to further enhance his reputation, can he do it at Leicester? Why not? But there's a bigger club, there's a bigger county, you know, bigger recognition somewhere else. I'm, I'll, I'll be getting abused here from Leicester fans. But to sign a four or five year contract, I thought that was quite strange. And there's a couple of people in at Birmingham this week asked me if I'd seen anything of Young Scrimshaw from Derbyshire. And the honest answer was no. I've seen bits of him, not seen much. I like what I see, and I look forward to seeing what happens when he plays against better opposition. 
you're spot on. Derbyshire getting recognised for the work that Mickey Arthur's done, but I think yeah, I, I haven't I haven't got too much of a, a a big opinion on Scrimshaw because simply, honestly, I haven't seen enough of him to make a, a proper opinion. Ahmed, seen him play a game. I like what I've seen. His conduct was brilliant. Young man, give him a chance and see where he goes. Hopefully. You know what, 17-year-old with Mo and Ali and, and, and Ali Rashid sort of getting to the latter part of their career. By the time that boy's 20, he might be knocking on England's door to go and play and take over from our great spin twins. I'll tell you what, one other name as well, one of my secret favourites, um, and I, it's, it's not a secret because I tell everybody how brilliant I think he is. If I had been an England selector over the last uh, five or six years, Benny Howell would have had yeah. uh, 60 or 70 ODI caps. Um, he's just a wonderful cricketer. So, um, uh, and and he's he's your, your medium pace mystery man. Um, so a reminder that the T20 series between England and India begins at the GS Bowl on Thursday with updates on, uh, over on Talk Sport. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. Sweeps oh. up from Dom Sibley, yes. he's got his 100. Sibley sweeps Maharaj for four behind square leg, and in just his seventh innings for England, he's reached the 100. And will it behave as the test match goes on, he's bowled him. Josh Butler's been beaten by a full-length delivery from Shannon Gabriel. It's clipped off stump. Giddy into him again. That's another six. He's sliced it over backward point. That's outrageous. How do you do that, Moen Ali? Well, is cricket becoming more like football in the transfer market? Moen Ali signed a white ball contract with Warwickshire, um, having turned down big offers from both Yorkshire and Surrey. And... Uh, Dom Sibney um, has uh, left Warwickshire to go back to the club of his uh, boyhood, Surrey, of course, after five years at the Bears. That uh, seems to be a, a move completely without acrimony, um, as indeed is Moen Ali's move. Ed Barnard has also joined Warwickshire from, uh, from down the road in Worcester. And um, from the overseas market, Shannon Gabriel replaces Harris Ralph on a short-term deal at Yorkshire. Somerset have signed Imam Al-Haq. It's the uh, the movement of the English players, though, that uh, has been particularly interesting this week, Harmy. It has, yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'd be fancying a count- as a county batter watching Big Shannon run down the hill at Edinburgh. That might be a bit of his bit of a challenge. You know, the, the sort of <laughs> little slight Harris Ralph. I know we probably similar pace, but. Big big man Shannon running down the other head, and he could be, it could be some uh, some challenge. Yeah, the the interesting one, I think Sibley was always going back. I think you have to credit Sibley for going to Warwickshire in the first place, get out of his comfort zone, get out of London, and then I think it, it's probably the right time for a change and go back. Barnard, yeah, playing very nicely, but the one that I'm quite interested in is is Moen, somebody who I think a lot of, um, not only as a cricketer but as a person. There's some interesting and I think there's some dangerous times coming around the corner from English cricket's point of view and what they do with Mo and Ali. He's unretired himself or he's talked in the media. He's been working a lot in the media recently. Talking but Harmi, he's signed a white ball contract with... That's what I mean. I can't, I can't, I don't get this. Um, I'm not saying that, I'm saying that worries me. I think it annoys me that he feels that the white ball contract alone gets him back into the test team. I think it's quite dangerous. I actually think, I actually think England this week were it was there was a quite a dangerous precedent picking Sam Billings 
did they have any other options? Was there anybody in county cricket that's done well over the course of the four-day stuff? Are we just picking players off the back of one-day performances? Are we picking a player to go because we just want a second spinner? Not bothered about him playing after Pakistan. Um, England might just come out and say that. You know what? He doesn't have to play four-day cricket. He's good enough to be involved. And if he puts himself available, Jack Leach is our number one spinner. He'll play in New Zealand. He'll play in the summer. We need a backup spinner. We need a second spinner to go and play instead of our fourth seamer. And that would be Mo and Ali. If England come out and say it like that, then I, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But if 25, 26, 27th over in Lahore, first test match in the heat, he's been bowling four overs. And then he's going to go and do it tomorrow. And then going to go and do it the next week. And we are expecting our, our one of our one of our players to stand up and be counted in the longest format of the game with no cricket behind him whatsoever. Yes, he's experienced, but you've still got to have the body to go through it. Uh, it worries me a little bit further down the line if England decide that Mo and Ali is going to be our second spinner for Pakistan. Okay, especially after signing just a white ball contract with with Warwickshire. Okay, they're basically not. They're not. They're basically saying county cricket's not good enough. They're saying Matt Parkinson's not good enough. And they're arguably saying that England haven't got a spinner in the country. And if that's the case, fine. That's their message. So my question is, if Brendan McCullum and um, Rob Key and Ben Stokes all decide that they look at the future tours programme and the tours coming up after the tour of Pakistan, the three test matches there, and they say in the next four or five tours, we're not going to be playing a second spinner anyway. So... If Moeen unretires from Test cricket and just plays in Pakistan, because we will definitely have a second spinner, um, and England, uh, and so they they compromise on principles that have guided Test selection for years and years, decades, and England win the series. How would you feel then? No, like I said before, I don't have. A, if the England come out and say that, if the management come out and say, look, we are only, it, it's a free hit basically. We are picking a second spinner, free hit. Mowen's only going to play three test matches. He's not, it's not a series of coming out of retirement. We don't believe Matt Parkinson is the right fit for going to Pakistan. We need our second spinner to bat, possibly number seven, number eight. That Moen Ali ticks a lot of boxes in that, in that, uh, in that bracket. No problem whatsoever. No problem whatsoever. It's just, yeah, you know, I'm not saying you have to win then, but what I'm saying is if it's all about coming out of retirement this and coming out of retirement that, and you know, the saviour is coming back, then I think that's the wrong message. But does Moen Halley better the England side by coming out and being our second spinner in a one-off sort of three-test match series? Of course he does. He's a phenomenal player, is Moen. The message you send into the rest of the country, we're basically saying if you're, if you, if you, if you both spin for any one of the 18 first-class counties, we don't believe you're good enough to play cricket for England. Yeah, I have to say I'm deeply uncomfortable with um, with with people being picked for for Test cricket um, who aren't playing regular first class cricket. And do you know, Sam Billings was at the IPL when the County Championship uh, played its first seven rounds. I mean, if you look at the number of first class games he's played in the last three years, you'll be able to count them on the fingers and thumb of one hand. Um, and there he is keeping in a test match. So that makes me think. He, he, play, he, he played in a test match, made his debut because he was the only person within 900 miles who potentially could catch a ball with a pair of gloves on who was English. That's how he got in the team. And that's not anything against Sam. 
But is he our second best wicketkeeper in the country? Probably not. No. No, exactly, exactly right. And um, I think that anyway, moving on. This was going to be one of our headline stories: the one-off Test match between um, England women and South Africa women. But unfortunately, um, what threatened to be promised to be a really exciting final day was rained out at Taunton. Um, so unfortunately, we've only got uh, the white ball series now to come because that was a one-off test match. But a couple of really um, impressive eye-catching performances. Nat Sivers' phenomenal form continues with another unbeaten 100 from her. Alison Davidson-Richards, 100 on debut. And um, anybody at the test match would have perhaps seen their first glimpse live of um, one of the top all-rounders in the world in the men's or women's games, Marizan Cup scored 150 from number six for South Africa and then opened the bowling. Um, she is just phenomenal, mm. phenomenal cricketer. Two questions. Why are women's test matches four days and why are they always one-offs? Yeah, I, I'm not so much worried about the four-day bit. I think the four-day is, is long enough, but one-off, I want to see more. Really enjoyed. The, the Ashes test match in the winter was an epic. This one was going to be an epic. Maybe it is needs to be five days in England because obviously you can never control the weather, but Nat's giver, the way she played was was unbelievable. I'd like to see I'd like to see more four day cricket. Yeah, I mean you have the longer format of 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 the game, the the women's game. I think it's the women's game has gone through the roof in the last two and a half, three years. And largely down to the hundred from from that point of view and exposure to pressure. Um, and I'd like to see a lot more test match cricket. And if it's only England, South Africa, we are the big guns, the really, really big sides that, that can possibly play it, even if it's just a four, five-team tournament like the World Test Championship, where England, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, if it's only them for the start of it, to grow it, then so be it. But I think it's important that we see a little bit more because... The last two test matches I've seen England play, both of them have been absolutely brilliant games, and I think it would be good to see more of it. Staying on the subject of women's cricket, um, this is um, New Zealand Cricket Chief Executive Officer David White explaining uh, a groundbreaking development in the women's game in that country. We just think it's the right thing to do. To be quite honest, we're not worried about the other other sports. We think it's the right thing to do, um, and we're, we're following our own strategy. And... Um, I think it's a significant day for New Zealand cricket um, to have the players under the same agreement and to have um, the equity of match payments for the for the women is a fantastic day for New Zealand cricket. It's David White confirming that uh, match fees for men and women um, will now be the same. We've had equal prize money at Wimbledon and and various other um, events. Uh, I have to say that the world is still the sporting world anyway is still very very far from equal. But um, I'm very happy with that, uh, Harmi. It's slightly yeah. misleading in the sense that uh, national players, men and women, have different contract fees. Uh, we're talking match fees, which are now the same. And that seems to me entirely the right thing to be doing. Step in the right direction. I think that's what I think a lot of the, the women's cricket administration side of it is has got to get, just keep making little steps in the right direction. And I think on the field... I think the women's cricket is going in ridiculously in the right direction. It, it is. I think some of it has been unbelievable. The standard has been so high. So we, we've got somewhere. We're going in the I, That's the thing. If I was 
I'm a support. I'm a really big supporter of, of of the women's game. I've got a niece who's just got into the Northern Super, the the, the Norman Diamonds under 18s, and she's over the moon. She's only been playing for two years. Yeah, she's 14 year old, and she's she's a she just she's gone from wearing dresses to now wearing cricket kit all the time. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> and that's largely down to the hundred. And I'd love the fact that if if Eva got to 18, 19 and got close to the, the, the women's side, that she would get well rewarded for being a professional sports person. And uh, like I said, I think it's a, it's a good step in the right direction. Okay, and final uh, news is that Shivnarayan Chanderpaul has been named as the new head coach of the USA women's team and under-19 women's teams. And uh, finally, Ireland against New Zealand ODIs. Uh, will be ball by ball exclusively on TalkSport 2 this week on Sunday and Tuesday. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to reflect on the T20 series between England and India But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 